this is a throwback episode of Jack Wakes Up. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone after you whose last is doomed. Jack Wakes Up is now available at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, everywhere books are sold. Here it's written and read by Seth Harwood. Website at SethHarwood.com and Patreon. It is not safe for your minivans, so put those earmuffs on your kids. Holy smoke and a pancake. It's your boy back in your earpiece. What about that? Oh my God. Yeah, I'm figuring out the audio here. And part of that involves me figuring out that those old MP3s of Jack Wakes Up kind of sucked in quality. So what do I know? I know we can do better than that, which is why I'm bringing it back, doing some better MP3s for you. And this week I got this. What else does that mean? It means I'm doing some recording and, you know, the drill. I'll hit you off with more information after the episode, just like the old days. Peace. No more talking. Let's bring it on. Chapter 8 Jack sits in his car a few blocks away with the motor running. Shit, he says, running his hand across the top of his head. Shit. Shit. He gets out and paces on the hard, black asphalt of the street, then crouches, leaning against the car, and closes his eyes. In his head, he sees the spray of Ralph's blood against the wall, the mess in the tub. He thinks of Ralph tripping out in the same jacuzzi, holding a slice of pizza above the bubbles, and then Ralph's body lying face down on the bottom of the tub today, lying in his own blood. Jack rubs his eyelids with the pads of his fingers. He's not sure what to do next. Getting out and away from all this seems like the next logical step, but if Ralph's killers decide to track Jack to his house in Sausalito, well... Jack's not sure what he would do if that happened. Maybe they saw his name on the pad in the kitchen and know he was working with Ralph. Don't want this deal with the checks to go through. Either way, he's involved now. Somebody knows his name and Ralph's dead, face down waiting for the cops to show. The fucking cops. Sergeant Hopkins is already after Jack about last night, for whatever reason. And now that Ralph's dead, he'll want to find him even more. If he knows anything... He'll know Jack was with Ralph. If not, they'll find something when they turn Ralph's house into a crime scene, some way to connect Jack, and Hopkins will want to talk then. Either way, he might as well head off the process, go in for a chat. He paces again, trying to get the image of the dead dog out of his head. Then Jack gets back into his car, drives for a few blocks, focusing on the road and the sound of the car's engine. What he really needs is a cigarette. Some smoke to calm his nerves and slow this all down. He thinks about stopping at a gas station, smells his fingers from this morning's smoke, and doesn't like the smell. In his movie, the best friend got killed, but not until the end, just before the final showdown with the big drug dealer from Miami. That was all squibs then, though. Fake blood. The best friend just a character played by an actor. Here, Ralph wasn't anybody's best friend. Now he's dead before Jack even knows why or what's happening. Or who did this. There's the Colombian on Ralph's machine, the checks, two pieces of the puzzle that don't fit together yet that need Jack to do the fitting. He turns back out onto the main drag in El Cerrito, the street with the most stores and parking lots. Turns back toward the highway entrance. With each gas station he passes, he thinks about stopping and buying cigarettes. He still sees the pictures. 
what he saw in Ralph's house, the pad with his name at the bottom. He imagines someone taking a pencil and crossing it out. As he drives toward the highway, he realizes he's going to head back toward I-80 and the Bay Bridge. The police might have more information he can use than anyone else does at this point. And the sooner he comes clean about being at Ralph's house, the better. He hopes. Chapter 9 By 12.30, Jack's at the police station downtown. A big, formidable-looking, gray concrete building on Bryant, with friezes of blind justice carved into the front. They have the nerve to call it the Hall of Justice. That's its official name, regardless of the fact that the Super Friends had a building by the same name in the cartoons Jack used to watch as a kid. After a few long hauls and some gum-chewing receptionists, Going through metal detectors to get into the actual building, Jack finds himself in Sergeant Hopkins' eighth-floor office, sitting across the desk from the big, blunt-nosed cop. Behind the desk, a wall of tacked-on papers represents the latest of the cases and crimes Hopkins has to deal with. Lots of mugshots and bulletins. Jack starts off asking about the Wonder Twins, but Hopkins doesn't even crack the beginning of a smile. So Jack starts in on the facts, what he saw at Ralph's, he may still wind up a suspect, but at least if he's cooperative, they won't hold him. He hopes. Hopkins sits behind his big wooden desk, writing down the details on a yellow legal pad as Jack gives them. When Jack stops talking, he looks up. So you say Ralph Andorino was dead when you got to his house. He called you. You show up. You find him dead. That's what you're saying. He's nodding as he asks, still writing his notes. And his dog, too, Jack says. You don't want to forget that the person who killed Ralph also shot his dog. I think that's a very important detail. Right. Hopkins makes another note. The phone on his desk springs to life, ringing loud like only an old civil service phone can. It's one of the early push-button models, big and heavy, with a little domed light in one corner. Hopkins looks at the phone, turns his attention back to the pad. Let me ask you one question, Jack says. Hopkins looks up from his writing and nods at Jack. The phone rings again. Why'd you call this morning? We heard you were cruising downtown last night. I wanted to make sure the ladies were safe. That's nice, Jack says. He leans closer to the sergeant, putting his face over the desk. Listen, you know Norma's call was bullshit that night, but you let the papers run their wife-beater story. The sergeant sits up straight, his back stiff. Why'd those cameramen show up five minutes before you did, Mills? They just cruising? Nobody tipped them off? Hopkins puts the pad and pencil down and folds his hands on the desk. So what you're saying, Jack, if I hear you correctly, is I had to gain from telling the press that a San Francisco celebrity, albeit a small one, a washed-up one, was about to go down for an assault on his woman? Level with me. That way we get the past behind us where it belongs. Okay, Hopkins says, leaning forward. He looks serious. The space between his eyes turns into a crease. I show up, you're junked out. She's throwing shit, carrying on. Yeah, it doesn't look like you've been hitting her, but somebody's got to explain those bruises on her arms, right? And I thought drug bust or hits his wife, what's the difference? Both play good in the papers. He smiles, but then, seeing how serious Jack is, he stops. Maybe that was my mistake, but who knew? We get you in and book you for possession. All I know, 
They went to the press with the wife beater story before you even hit your cell block. Hopkins stands up, pushes his finger into the desk. But you know what? What? Whatever came out that night didn't just happen in a minute. Whatever you had going on in there had been building up for a while. Jack shakes his head, partly to control himself, partly because he doesn't need this much. This is your life at this point in his day, especially not today. Getting into it with an officer won't put anything in his bank account or help him get out of the precinct while the day's still young either. So tell me how the papers get there. The sergeant frowns. Drug bust, home disturbance, I care. Things went wrong in your house, and that is neither my problem nor the press's. You get me? He sits back down behind the desk, not lightly. His chair creaks like it's about to fall to pieces. Fine. You got my statement about Ralph's body and the state of his house. If you want to arrest me, go ahead. Jack holds out his hands for the cuffs. If not, I have places to go. Sit down. I was just about to ask you about last night. Jack keeps his hands up, his wrists tilted towards Hopkins. Ask. The sergeant opens one of his desk drawers, takes out a file. If we say I owe you one about the papers, that I was wrong there, will you sit down and listen to me for a minute? I might. Hopkins points at the chair. Okay, I owe you. Now sit. Jack sits down. What is it? Hopkins puts the folder on his desk spreads out a couple of group photos, black and white surveillance shots of the checks. We heard you and Ralph Andorino were around town with some high rollers, spenders in from out of town. You know these tools? Jack shakes his head. Not that I remember. They someone I should be aware of? Hopkins leans way back in his chair, spreads his hands in front of him. Our guys upstairs are hearing tips on some Eastern Europeans coming in. Warlords or terrorists are the words they're hearing and it's got them all in a bunch. I say it's bullshit, but orders from on high, he points to the ceiling, dictate that we all have to follow up on this one like it's the gospel. War on terror and all. Anytime the word terrorist comes up, we all jump. So? So we follow all leads. What I'm saying, if you see these guys, you know what they're up to. Drop me a dime. Hopkins takes a card out of his billfold and flips it onto the desk. My cell phone's on the back. Jack looks down at the card, at the picture of Vlade and the others. These guys aren't terrorists. You know this? Hopkins sits forward with a loud creak. Jack shakes his head. I'm saying your info, from wherever it comes, could be wrong. They both look at the picture. This one, Hopkins taps Vlade. And this one, he taps the quiet guy, Mikhail's pal. We hear they've done a few violent acts on the other side of the world. Things no one we know would be proud of. Someone got worried about who they're working for. You get me? Jack picks up Hopkins' card, reads it over. And that makes them terrorists. Hopkins lets out a long breath and looks to the side, then back at Jack. Not my decision, Jack, or my word. But are you saying you're qualified to make that call? Jack stands up. That all you wanted? Just, if you see these guys doing anything, if something starts to happen you're not sure of, you want me to watch them. I'm just saying, if you see them, if, and anything starts to look big, then you give me a call. Okay? Jack reads the card again, slips it into the pocket of his sweatsuit jacket. Okay, he says. I see anything that screams war on terror, I'll give you a call. 
chapter 10, sucker. Yo, if you're listening to this and your name is Michael Farley or David Deswirik, what? Outside the Hall of Justice, Jack's bought a pack of cigarettes from the shop across the street and starts tapping them against his palm before he even realizes what he's doing. Shit, he says. Getting into the car, he slips them into the glove box. He looks around, up at the bright blue sky ahead of him, out away from the city, and starts the engine. On his way to the Hotel Regis, Jack practices thinking about his breath, doing the kind of deep breathing he'd be doing if he was smoking. Deep inhales and exhales, only doing it without the smokes. Though the drive from the station to the Regis Hotel is less than a mile, it takes more than 20 minutes with the lights. Getting to Market Street is the easy part. Below that, it's all wide avenues and four-lane traffic. But then around Market, the cable cars and pedestrians, the streets coming in at all angles bring everything to a crawl. North of Market, the streets thin down to just one or two lanes, many still running one way. Here the foot traffic's at its worst. The density of shops and what tourists consider fine shopping is higher here than anywhere else in the city. At each corner, Jack waits for large crowds toting big paper shopping bags to pass in front of his car. When he finally pulls up at the hotel, the same valet from the day before smiles at him. Jack hands the kid a fiver for holding his door, but still doesn't give up the keys. This time he tells the kid he won't be long. In the elevator, going up to the penthouse, Jack checks himself out in the reflective doors. He's not exactly dressed for the top floor, wearing his blue sweatsuit. But some guys can pull this off, he figures, as long as he acts the part. He could use a shave, he sees, and last night's left some luggage under his eyes. But his hair's tight, and the sweatsuit's new enough to look all right. If he got this far, Jack considers, watching the floors hit 49, then 50, he must be doing something right. Then the doors open and the two handsome bodyguards, Mikkel and his pal, stand in front of Jack with their right hands tucked into their jackets silver handle of a revolver in each one's grip. He takes a step back, looks at the elevator attendant, a young kid from the lobby whose job is just to bring Jack up. The kid looks out into the penthouse and doesn't take his eyes off the floor-to-ceiling windows, downtown from downtown views. Come in, Jack, Vlade says, standing between the two guards. He waves to Jack, nods. Thanks, Jack tells the kid, and steps out into the suite. As the doors close behind him, Jack says, It's okay, guys. Just me. Jack Palms. Remember all the fun we had together last night? The two guards don't speak, or move their hands to pull or release their weapons. What is going on, man? Vlade says, stepping forward. He nods at the two guards just as they draw their weapons and aim them at Jack. Staring down the barrel of two guns, Jack hears Sergeant Hopkins' words, Terrorist and Warlord, and wonders if he shouldn't have just gone home to Sausalito. This is not turning out to be a good day. Whoa, Jack says, holding up his hands. As an actor, the number one thing he knows is to go with the scene, follow it through regardless. What is going on? I come up here to see how you guys are doing, and you have Mike and the mechanic here pull their guns on me? What is that? Oh, yes, Al says, suddenly appearing at the bar, though he could have been standing there already. You want to check on us, see how we're doing. Well, how are you doing, Mr. Palimas? Palms, Jack says. He puts his hands down, points at Al. First of all, it's Palms. That's my name. You guys were getting it wrong all last night, and now I need to tell you it's pronounced Palms, like the trees. 
Whatever the fuck, Al yells. Whoa. Don't lose your temper with me, Versace. Alex, confused at this, glances down at his clothes. A white terry cloth robe, strictly hotel issue. Vlade frowns, as if he's thinking it over, then says something softly to Al in check. Al turns back to the bar, shaking his head, starts to pour himself a drink. Vlade regards Jack with interest. No need to get angry, my friend. He looks at Mikal and then the other guard. Jack re-raises his hands. Guys, he says, can we put the guns down and talk this through? The two black holes of the barrel stare at him like snakes. Vlade doesn't budge when the two look at him for direction. He angles his chin up toward Jack. What happened to Ralph? I don't know. I seriously don't. Jack watches the others to see how they react. He is dead. Vlade folds his arms. Al turns back toward Jack, a highball glass of something brown, scotch probably, in his hand. Someone has killed him this morning, and when the boys go to pick him up, Vlade nods at Mike and the other guy, they find police crawling on his house like they are red ants, the biting kind. They told you he was dead? You think they talked to the cops here? Crazy. They come back, we see on the TV. David points to the flat screen model by the couches. The fucking TV show, Ralph's body on the bed with wheels, going out with the sheet over him. Fucking gang-related, they say. Al nods in time to Vlade's statements, punctuating his anger. Fuck, he adds. Vlade gives him a quick look. It's true, Jack admits, holding his hands high. I saw it myself when I went over this morning. Jack shakes his head. I guess I was there before your boys, but I was not the one who did this. Tell your guys to put their guns down. I'm the one who's trying to help you. Mikal says, You saw him? Ralph? Jack nods. Fucking bathroom. Someone popped him in the back of the head and left him in a bloody tub. They even shot his dog. Al frowns and tilts his head as if accepting this. Probably barking, he says. Yeah, but you don't kill a fucking guy's dog. And now Jack is upset and stomping on the expensive rug. It's a fucking dog. Freeze where you are, the two guards say to Jack together. I was not the one who killed him, Jack says, and he walks right up to the guards, between them and directly to Vlade. He stands right in front of him when he says, I can respect that you guys are concerned, but I was not the one who did Ralph. In fact, I think the guy who did it might be after me next. So let's drop the guns and find him together. He takes a good look at Al to make sure he hasn't moved. Looks at first Mikel and then the other guard, meeting their eyes, not looking down at their guns. And this is fucked up, pulling these guns on me after all the shit we did last night. Gauging from the look on the Czech's faces, like he might be making a point, that or now he's the craziest one in the room, Jack goes on. What we need to do is find out who did this. Hunt them down, kill them, and find out what happened. Vlade nods to the guards and they lower their guns. Thank you. Jack watches the guns go back inside the jacket. He takes a few deep breaths and then said what he has to say with his eyes closed. Vlade, guys, don't ever point your guns at me again, please. Because I'm telling all of you right now, if I have a gun pointed in my face again, I go home. End of story. I am the one on your side. I want to know what happened to Ralph. He looks around at the others. Let me say it one more time. I did not shoot Ralph. No matter what we don't know, that we know. Vlade frowns his acceptance and nods. He shows Jack his hands. Al walks over to the couches, puts his drink down and comes over to Jack, gives him a big, wide-armed hug. 
He holds Jack's head and kisses him hard on both cheeks. We are sorry to you, he says. You are the one right. We are very sorry. Jesus, Jack says, pushing past Alan, going over to the couches. Now who the fuck would have done this to Ralph? How can we find this out? Vlad asks. Jack sits down, lets himself fall into the big white leather couches. About a minute worth of air seeps out of it as the cushions settle down around Jack. After explaining to the Czechs about everything he found in Ralph's house, the same basic story he gave Sergeant Hopkins, Jack waits for the three of them to suggest a next move. David's come out of a bedroom, looking like he just woke up, wearing a robe to match Al's. They're all sitting on the couches, speaking in Czech, with the other two back on either side of the elevator doors. Jack's not the happiest that they're speaking a language he doesn't understand, especially given that they're talking about him, but what can he do? As far as his discussion with Sergeant Hopkins goes, Jack's not sure about his confidence in the checks anymore. Someone pulls a gun on you, that happens. But whether he'd drop a dime about where they are and what they're doing is something he hasn't decided yet. That much depends on what they do next. That and where he thinks he stands in relation to the people who killed Ralph. Vlade looks away from the others. Says to Jack, You say you have the phone of the man who called Ralph to meet about the deal? Jack nods. What will it cost you to call him? What? Jack says. Cost? I'm talking about going after the guys who shot Ralph. I know. Vlade closes his eyes. Nods. We will pay you double what we would have paid Ralph now. I understand that the stakes have become higher. There is death. Jack's already shaking his head. I can give you the phone number, and you guys can... Vlade shakes his head again. You don't need me. What you need is to... $10,000, Vlade says. To make for us these deals. To help us. What do you say? Ten? That means they'd been going to give Ralph five at the start. At least. Meaning he was only cutting Jack in for less than half. But what's $1,000 between friends? Jack can't hold it against him, though. For one, Ralph did all the legwork. And two, the guy's dead. Okay, Vlade says. Fifteen. Three times. Fifteen? Jack asks, nodding, not even sure what he's agreeing to, but sure about the number, and sure about what that many reasons can set him up for. Fifteen sounds good. Okay. Vlade rubs his hands together like it's just gotten to be a cold winter's night in the penthouse. Jack starts thinking about what he can do with the fifteen grand, how long he'll be able to stay in his house, what legitimate ways of making money he can start up in that time. Vlade starts to talk, saying things that Jack doesn't hear. Jack comes back in at, Set the meat for tomorrow. What, Jack says? With this dealer, the man on the phone. Call him and set the meat. I'll call him, but we have to see what he says. He wanted Ralph. He will come, Vlade says, nodding. For the kind of buy we are talking, he will meet. Okay, but what about finding Ralph's killer? Vlade looks to the others before he speaks. Al nods and David gives a shrug. We will track him down with you. We should. If this person doesn't want our meat to happen, we must neutralize them before it does. Neutralize. Jack likes how that sounds. He nods and stands up. Okay, I'll make the call. Jack steps away to the outside of the room, to the windows that look down on the rest of San Francisco. He can feel the checks watching him as he takes out his cell finds the number from Ralph's caller ID on the folded-up paper. It's just one call. Before he knows what he'll say, he's put in the numbers. The phone is ringing. 
Then the same voice from the message at Ralph's picks up. Hola. Quien es? Jack hesitates. The voice comes again. Hola. Above all else, Jack knows that fucking this up is not what he wants to do. You called Ralph this morning, he says. Wanted to set up a meet. Who is this? I am a friend calling to let you know I'll be there. I can meet you today at the wharfs. Pier 39. Jack hears the guy on the phone say something to someone where he is. A muffled sound that doesn't sound like English. Where is Ralph? Jack doesn't know how to play this, but figures it's better to keep Ralph's death on a need-to-know basis, unless everyone saw it on TV. Ralph is indisposed at this point in time, he says. Indisposed, the voice says slowly, breaking the word into its parts. Ralph not coming to this meeting does not look so good for you, Mr. Friend. Do you understand what I am saying? I'm bringing, Jack starts to say. He wants to tell this guy he's bringing the money, something to prove himself but doesn't want to commit to anything he can't deliver. I'm bringing Ralph's total confidence and permission to negotiate. There is a short laugh at the other end of the line. This Ralph now has the confidence and he gives permissions? Ralph has grown in stature since we last spoke. Now he gets indisposed and cannot meet. He sent his friend, the negotiator. Well, I say okay to you, Mr. Negotiator. We will meet today, three o'clock, the Musée Mécanique place. And then he hangs up. Okay, Jack says into the dead phone for effect, not sure if the checks are listening to his end of the conversation. Okay, I'll meet you there. Jack looks around. He's come into a quiet corner of the penthouse, with window views on both sides. He puts his forehead up against the cold glass and looks down. He sees the huge billboard of Tom Brady that stands on top of the SF Nike town. Tom Brady looking confident as ever, able to stand in the pocket all day, and deliver every time in the fourth quarter when the game's on the line. Jack can't even see the street below. He tucks the phone into his jacket, turns back to the room. The two guards have gone back to their post by the elevator, the quiet ones smoking. David and Al cut lines from what blow they have left, exactly what Jack thinks they don't need, and Vlade leans back, his scotch on his lap and the remote control in one hand, watching the news on TV. He turns to look at Jack and shuts it off. Jack comes back across the room to the camp of leather couches. He sits down next to Al. The meat is on, he says. I'm going to see the man this afternoon. You are good to do this for us, Vlade says. You will be rewarded. Jack wonders how he'll play it with the Colombian, his first acting job in a while, not counting last night and today. He decides to act like he belongs in all of this, keep with that as long as it works, act like he's not just going from one person to the next, trying to figure it out, even if that's all he's really doing. Oh, man. Tripping off the beat, kind of, sort of like a meat grinder. That is Throwback Jack Wakes Up, Episode 4. That covered chapters 8 through 10 in the book. The original chapterization was a little bit different. But we're getting it back on track now, and I'm going to fix all the chapters as we go through this and get them up on ACX so that it matches up with the book. No, it won't whisper sync. If you were here, you would see my fingers doing air quotes as I say that. But it's a closer facsimile to the actual published product that you can go out and purchase on Amazon, Kindle, iBooks, your local store, 
out from Three Rivers Press, a division of Random House. Everywhere books are sold. And there's a version of it on ACX that I'm going to be cleaning up as we go forward and making even better. So basically, A, this episode is dedicated to my man, squeaky clean Steve Dave. What's up? Steve has been with me for the longest. I think he once sent me some cigars in the mail when I got a book published. And he is one of my biggest backers on Patreon. Also, major shout outs to Dale Badger Bennett, Seth Strong, and Michael Dunham. Thanks to everybody for supporting on Patreon. I thank you. I appreciate you. And it's all a part of asking for help. That's what it comes down to. I don't know what just happened to my voice right there, but it's all working up. I'm figuring out the audio stuff, getting the new studio here ready, recording this for you right now, which means I'm one step closer to recording new content. And I'm going to go back and fix the older Jack Wakes Up episodes to give them better audio as we go forward. So I'll let you know when that's happened. I wish you all the best. And uh, once again, it's your boy. Happy to be in your ear. You know somebody who should be listening over here? You tell them Seth sent you, and Steve sent you, and Mike sent you, and David. Anyway, tell somebody about it. Get them over to Patreon and tell them there's new Jack Palms on the way. This is your boy Seth Harwood. Website is patreon.com slash Seth Harwood. And production is thanks a la John Miro. The crowd couldn't wait to see this. Nobody's been this long awaited since Jesus. Who wouldn't believe this? I heard the word on the street is. I'm still one of the deepest on the mic since Adidas. They said I changed the times from...